0: So, James, starting in verse 1, chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So that's what we're going to cover this morning. Lord, we're thankful for your word and that you've given it to us, Lord, so that uh, we might know you. Lord, we're thankful that in it we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we pray that as we just have a look at Um, the book of James now. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to understand um, what you want to teach us, how we should apply it. Lord, we know that we need you to to teach us. Lord, and so um, I'm reminded of of that passage in Luke 24, Lord, where where you appeared to the two travelers on the the road to Emmaus. Lord, um, how you opened up the scriptures to them and and explained, Lord, uh all the, the passages concerning yourself. And and how, Lord, they just described that experience as as their hearts burning within them. And so, Lord, this morning we know that your word is living and powerful. And and even in such a, a seemingly academic kind of approach this morning, looking at the introduction to the book of James. Lord, we know that we can't discount, Lord, the power of your word. And we know that your Holy Spirit is at work. And so, Lord, we want to, to receive from you this morning. Lord, we want to come away challenged and changed by your word. And so, Lord, uh, speak to us, we pray. And we love you. Amen. Amen. So we are looking at the book of James and I'm really excited about it. It's been really nervous for like the first year of trying to figure out like what I'm going to teach after Mark because we were like in Mark for like forever. And so we finally made it through Mark and we started off with the gospel of Mark um, intentionally because we wanted to deal with Jesus right away. We didn't want to, you know, try to kind of start a community of people for the first time and not really have any footing. So we wanted to look at Jesus together. And when Mark um, speaks of Jesus, he kind of comes at it from the angle of looking at Jesus, uh, you know, defining who Jesus is. He set out to kind of prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and we called that uh, session or, or that series, the, the Real Jesus. We wanted to really wrap our minds around who Mark is saying is the real Jesus. And so we finished Mark 16, uh, finally, and uh, Jesus ends the book there uh, giving a mission to his disciples. In Mark 16, verse 15, it's Jesus speaks to his disciples and he tells them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so um, there's this charge, it's this commission to send the disciples out and the, and the church out to go and to make more disciples. And uh, last week, we looked at that briefly in the idea of the mission and vision of the church. It was kind of uh, what we checked on, and we saw the the mission is dependent upon finding our identity in Christ. We're first a, a people that are worshipers. We're first a people that are dedicated to the glory of God. And then out of that overflow, we're sent on to a mission to make disciples. And, and we said in that um, mission and vision uh, kind of sermon last week that those disciples are made after Jesus and those disciples are made in turn to be people who will give glory to God. We're not making cookie cutouts of ourselves. We don't want to make clones of ourselves, but we want to make people who will follow Jesus, who are his disciples, who will give God glory. And so that is really kind of the... The theological side of it that we looked at, and um, so we kind of dealt with like who Jesus is and and finding our identity in Him, and, and then we looked at what He's told us to do. But then that leaves us now as like a people that has to go and do it. And so James is kind of a, a, a book that has a reputation for being a, a go and do book. You know, it's like you have the foundation, you know who you are. Now go and do this. And that's absolutely true. Um, it's filled with practical wisdom and it's filled with, um, you know, just straightforward instruction. It's often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, Martin Luther, he didn't really have an appreciation for the book of James in the way that he appreciated Galatians. Galatians, he called his wife because he was like loved it. He was like married to it. He And the uh, the book of James, he didn't, quite understand all the way and he had a term for it calling it the epistle of straw. He just thought it was like you know, he didn't he didn't believe that it wasn't like inspired by God, but in compared to some of Paul's theology in Galatians, it was just, you know, it was nothing. And he could never really reconcile the two, but yet he still considered the book of James a, a, as scripture. Uh and, and as I was saying, this is kind of a favorite book of many Christians because it's very straightforward. It's very, uh, you know, do this and here's what you should do. And and if you're, you know, a, a new believer, it's pretty straightforward in coming to it. You don't have to, you know, wade through parables and kind of find out, well, what about this situation? And, you know, there aren't a lot of theoreticals that exist within in the book here. And so, Uh, we're going to kind of consider this morning a couple things. Uh, We're going to look at some of the background of the book and then also some of the themes and major topics that we are going to tackle as we go through the book. So first off, James. uh, Who is the book written by? Uh, It would seem very straightforward. Uh, It tells us in verse 1, James, a servant of God. So uh, it's written by a guy named James, quite obviously, but which James? We know from... Scripture, uh, there's in Acts 1.13, there's specifically two James mentioned there. Uh, the first one in, in Acts one thirteen, it says this, So they entered, they went up to the upper room, and they were staying in Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So you got multiple James happening going on there. So there's two that are mentioned specifically. It says... Uh, there, there's James, the son of Alphaeus, and he's only mentioned briefly. He's one of the disciples, and, and he's a part of uh, you know, the crew there, but he's not well known enough within uh, the, the Bible or within church history to have the type of authority that, it, that James speaks with as he writes this book. And so we can, we can be certain that it's not this uh, James, son of Alphaeus. Uh, the other one is James, the son of Zebedee. This was the brother of John. He was one of the, one of the uh, sons of thunder who wanted to kind of call down like fire from heaven on, uh, on people. He was a member of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was, was there when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus with, with Moses and Elijah transfigured there upon the mountain it was James, the son of Zebedee, who whose mother came to Jesus and was like, Jesus, when when you come into your kingdom, like, can my sons sit at your right hand and your left hand? And he's like, I don't think you really know what you're asking. That was uh, the James that was uh, the, the son of Zebedee. The problem with James, the son of Zebedee, being uh, the author of the book is that uh, he was martyred by Herod Agrippa, around A.D. 44. We see that in Acts 12. Uh, It tells us, Acts 12, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So James got killed off in A.D. 44. So that leaves us with one other James that is prominent in Scripture and in uh, the historical texts of the time in Josephus and Eusebius, This is James, the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother, I guess, if you will. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, appears to be the author of this book. And it's kind of interesting in considering that because we see in Mark 3 that he didn't even believe in Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. I mean, what kind? Of, I just don't even can't even imagine having kids. What it would be like in having a brother to grow up with Jesus. It's just, you know, it was like there was never really a moment where like you you as a brother could be like, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. It was never Jesus. <laughs> There's he just didn't do stuff. You know, he wasn't disobedient. He wasn't selfish. He didn't sin. So like there wasn't a moment where James could be like, it was Jesus! It, you know, like, he did it. he just, like... You know, when people kind of have, like, that, like, perfection, when you're growing up, you're like, oh, you're, like, a goody... Like, Jesus was, like, perfect, and growing up with him, uh, you know, it's probably not... It's probably easy to see why also James probably maybe had a little bit of uh, disdain for Jesus. Uh, he He... Him and his family, they tried to run Jesus off at one point uh, as he had his followers. In Mark 3, verse 31, Jesus is teaching in a house. And Jesus' mothers and brothers come, and they stand outside, and they send for him. They're like, Get this. we're really sorry about Jesus. We want Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Like, we're really sorry about what's going on here. And they're trying to pull Jesus away. Uh, later, though, we see there's a dramatic change. After the resurrection of Christ, after the resurrection of Jesus, in Acts 1.14, we see that his family is there with the disciples praying. James and his, fam- his mothers and his brothers, they're there praying with the disciples, waiting for, uh, really, I guess, the Holy Spirit to come. Acts 1 says they were, uh, all these were in one accord, devot- devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so James obviously has this kind of change of heart. He sees the resurrected Christ. He sees that Jesus is indeed different. He is indeed who he said he was. He's not just this crazy brother. He is indeed the Son of God. And so we see his family there and James praying with the disciples, waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts uh, 12, 17, we see that James is in a position of authority over the church at Jerusalem. He is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, the, there, there's a moment there where he is, um, they're wanting to, to speak to him, and he's called out specifically there. In, in Acts 12, they're trying to bring word to the church in jerusalem and specifically they're saying tell these things to james and the brothers james is the representative this is james the brother of jesus he's the pastor of the church of jerusalem and so he goes from being somebody who's kind of on the outside and and really is ashamed at what jesus is doing to a believer in a position of authority in Acts fifteen, it was James at the Council of Jerusalem when they're trying to figure out. Okay, all these Gentiles now are becoming uh, are becoming Christians, and they're they're coming. What do we do with them? Do we do we make them like observe Jewish traditions, and do we have them follow the law? And they're trying to figure out. It's it's James at the tr- at the Council of Jerusalem that they all look to 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 figure out what they should do next. In in Galatians one, Paul after after Jesus coming to him and, and making him an apostle and sending him uh, to the Gentiles, it's Paul who comes and affirms James' position in the church. In Galatians 1.18, uh, it says this, After three years, Paul speaking, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So this is the first time that Paul has seen anybody since being uh you know, a a Christian killer, since he was converted and changed from Saul to Paul, the apostle of the Lord. And so it says there, he went uh, to visit Peter in Jerusalem and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so we see that James here, he has this this position of authority in the church. And even Paul goes to him and sa- and to, to confirm his apostleship. To, to show that he is really actually legit and not sneakily trying to, you know, pretend like he's following Jesus and then kill a bunch of Christians. And so he meets with Peter and with James. Lastly, James is called out in for, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 by Paul as one who saw the resurrected christ he he gives a list there paul goes on to to declare the list of people who who have seen jesus raised from the dead he he says um He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So James is marked as one who has seen the resurrected Christ. He's marked as one who is an authority in that if you want to see if it's true that Jesus is indeed raised from the dead, you can go and talk to James and he will tell you. And so James is most likely, you know, the author of this book, James the brother of Jesus. Now, because we know that James is also the author of the book here, we have a couple uh, dates that help us with nailing down when this was written. Uh, Church history tells us, Eusebius tells us, that that James, the brother of Jesus, was probably stoned to death by the religious leaders in AD 62. And so our window of time uh, here gives us... um, there's some markers that give us a, a, a kind of a time that when this could be written. And it was most likely written in the middle 40s, around somewhere between uh, AD 44, AD 46, somewhere in there. And we have historical markers at the Council of Jerusalem, and then there's a widespread famine that causes uh, you know, uh, persecution and dispersion. And that causes most scholars to kind of mark this in, in a small uh, window of time. And it's noteworthy here uh, to mention that because that puts James written before Paul wrote Galatians. Paul wrote, um, and Galatians is Paul's earliest work. And so that puts James writing before Paul begins to talk about, uh, you know, his justification by faith. Um, And we'll kind of look at that as we talk about, you know, faith without works and, and justification, we have a little bit of commentary there, but it also if if that also uh, gives us that marker that also tells us that James was probably one of the earliest New Testament books, if not the earliest. It, it was if it was written in AD uh, forty four to forty six, and Jesus is kind of timeline. Was in you know the the thirty three range. It was written in a very very short period after uh, the the ministry of Christ, and so uh, noteworthy there that James is written in that time period. Now, who's it written to? Who are the readers? Uh, James gives us the details there. It says it's written to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. That's what he's what he's pulling out there now. In the Old Testament, James is divided into, or not James, the Israel is divided into twelve tribes, twelve specific groups of people that make up the nation of Israel. And it was a, a way for uh, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you kind of hear that, you know, it's the twelve tribes of Israel. It's a way to talk about the group of, of Israel as a whole. Now, As a result of the Assyrian and Babylonian uh, victories over Israel, those 12 tribes were scattered. They were dispersed uh, all over uh, those empires. They were broken up. They weren't a a group of people traveling together. And so here, James is writing to a, a group of people this Uh, 12 tribes in the dispersion or the scattered 12 tribes is really kind of what he's speaking to. He's speaking to a group of people as a whole. He's not speaking to... uh, some of the other churches, you know, when Paul writes to the Galatians, we know it's to the Galatian church, or the Colossians, we know it's to the Colossian church. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, we know it's to the Corinthian church. But James just writes a general letter, it's a general epistle. It's to the 12 tribes as a whole. It's to, uh, and really the phrase is, you know, something that's used kind of for the idea of the Jewish, uh, Jewish Christians as a whole. Now, as I was thinking about this this morning and um, putting up the signs and walking around here, the Lord was kind of just also reminding me that's kind of how Berkeley is. We're kind of like the, the Christians that are scattered, you know, from, from all the other places where we had a real maybe strong home base. You know, wherever, wherever you're originally from, maybe you had a real strong uh, group of Christian friends or church family where you grew up but for whatever reason as a result of you know coming to school or or needing you know going to live closer to relatives or whatever it is we've been scattered into the bay area into berkeley into the east bay we're here as just like a random group of people and it kind of doesn't make sense at as a time at you know for, for some of us like why are we here and what's going on and trying to make decisions for the future. And what James is writing to, he's, he's, it's really applicable, the Lord is kind of showing me this morning, to us in the same way. Because he's writing to encourage them, to give them uh, an exhortation to don't give up, just stay the course, continue in the faith, and stick together where you're at. Minister to each other, love on one another, and be salt and light in your context. And so he's writing here to this group of people that are scattered, and, and very appropriately, he's writing to us this morning. To to just a random group of people who are bound together by nothing but Christ. We're, you know, we a lot of us don't have a lot of other things in common, but we have Jesus in common. And that's the the idea behind the Christian church. That's what we are wanting to come together around. And so that is who uh, he is writing to in this letter. Now, the structure. And and, uh, I want you guys to catch this, the structure. James is intensely practical. If you've ever read through James, you get that. It's very straightforward. It it has an idea where it kind of just tells you what to do rather than... You know, here's a concept to think about, and you've got to kind of figure out how to apply it in, in your life. You know, for James, it's just, do this, don't do this, do this. It's just very clear, it's a stark uh, picture. James is filled, the entire book is filled with clear and direct commands. Now, it contains more imperative commands than any other New Testament book. Now, if you don't know what an imperative command is, we talked about that um, a little bit at Community Group on Friday. We talked a bit about an imperative command last week in Mission and Vision. An imperative command is something that comes forth with authority. When Jesus gives us the great commission and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching all that I've commanded you, that's not an invitation, it's a command. He's not saying, if you want to do this, this is something you should maybe consider. He's saying, do this, and if you don't, you're in disobedience. You're not obeying my commands. It's important to note that these are imperatives, that these are things that we must do or must not, whether depending upon the type of command. It's important to note that because in our day and age, we like to be our own authority. We like to determine what we should or should not do based upon how we feel about it. But these are Commands that were given, not suggestions. They're not invitations to obey. They're a command to obey. And so we want to draw that line very clearly here. And it's a little bit awkward when you kind of get into this. I was kind of thinking about it as I was coming through the gospel of Mark, because Mark's great in that we can talk about it and you can see Jesus and you can see his love and compassion. And there's definitely some imperative commands along the way. But then there's also a point where we kind of come to the more direct commands of Scripture, and it puts us all on the spot. We have to obey the commands of Jesus, obey the Scriptures. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments." And so our love for Jesus is directly linked with our obedience to what he's laid out in his word. And so if we want to demonstrate our love for him, we'll be found obeying his commandments. Now, as I was saying, it's a little bit awkward because it does call us into obedience. We have to confront these things. We're going to read them, and then we're going to do them, and we're all going to kind of look at each other in a sort of way where we're like, are you doing those, and are, are am I doing those, and then not only are we going to to have to confront that, but then we're also going to have to confront the ideas of if people aren't doing those, we want to be faithful to go and exhort them to be faithful to do those things. And, and so it, it's a more confrontational sort of book. Confrontational does not necessarily mean uh, sinful in that you know, or or creating conflict. It means that we're going to come alongside each other and spur one another on to love and good works. And so James here is is going to be very practical, very straightforward. James is, is concerned with working out the theology. We kind of talked about that in the Gospel of Mark. Here's the, the theological uh, nature of the book Mark setting out to prove who Jesus is and and Jesus says again and again here's who I say that I am and and you know throughout the gospel of Mark there's the the whole messianic secret motif that we looked at where you know Jesus can only be rightly known at the cross but then at the cross when you see him then you have to make a choice about who Jesus is and so James now is concerned with working it out you you have the knowledge now you got to do something with it. James is, is calling us now to respond to who Jesus is and what we've done with him. Now, because James is so much of a go and do, go and do, go and do type of book, I want to give you guys a caution too. and I, And I've had to kind of caution myself as I get into studying this. The This book can also lead to a danger of having a, a do mentality. And so we need to be rooted in the gospel. We're going to look at the book and the things that it tells us to do, and then we're going to look at it and, and try to encourage one another in love and good works. And in ask each other, like, you should go and do what it's telling us to do. We should go and do this together. And if people aren't doing it, we want to encourage them to go in and to be obedient. But if we get too wrapped up in that, there's a danger. There, there's a danger to have the tendency in that, well, you're not. you're not doing it, and so you must not, you know, you must not be walking with the Lord, or, you know, you, you must, and, and it, he, it can tend to, to heap condemnation upon people. And so we want to be obedient to go and do, but we also want to be wise to the fact that these types of commands can also lead to us trying to earn our own salvation, or to put us in a place where we're trying to call other people into a thing where, well, you're not pulling your, your weight, you know, you're not doing, you're not doing your bit of it. There is a bit of personal responsibility in working that out. We'll see that when we talk about faith and works and justification. But when we talk about accomplishing these things that he's told us to do, we have to operate from a foundation of the gospel. That Not that we need to go and do to earn, but that Christ has already done on our behalf. And that in turn, we will respond and go and do for his glory, not for our salvation. We want to go and obey the scriptures, we want to do the things that James is telling us to do, not because we must do them for our own justification, but because Christ has justified us, and we want to give him glory, and he is glorified in our work. And so, we want to just be mindful of that as we come through the book. Now, we've said that James is a very intensely practical book, and it's very a go and do very straightforward book, but James is just because James is um, less theoretical does not mean that it's less theological. So there is a, a theology that we're going to find in in the book of James, but we are not going to necessarily have the the ruminating that Paul tends to do and having you know the great paragraphs that lead to these massive run-on sentences where it kind of just sounds like he got lost in his own thoughts for a moment and is all of a sudden so excited that he kind of ends with this great crescendo in proving his points. James doesn't operate that way. He says, here's what you should do, go and do it. Because he's less theoretical, that doesn't mean that he's less theological. We're still going to find things um, in that sense. And it's noteworthy and Um, for today's climate because we live in a climate where we need things practically everyone wants to be a philosopher and you know philosophize about like what this means and you know here's as i'm coming to the scripture let's sit down and you know we're going to have our own dead poet society and really sit around with you know and discuss this and uh we'll sit in some you know crazy library and we'll be real smart together Everybody in our day and age loves that. I mean, there's, I love sitting in a nice chair and having a cup of coffee and reading a book. I'm totally all about that. But in our day and age, we really need someone to say, go and do this. We need a practical perspective because everybody wants to philosophize about things to the point where they're philosophizing not to come to a truth, not to come to a logical conclusion, but to avoid accountability. There's nothing wrong with Having a, a theory that you want to, to kick around or to talk about the Word of God and, and, and you know really marinate it, in it together with somebody and discuss the, the theology of Paul. But if your discussion is based around avoiding accountability and avoiding a call to action in a response to what Paul is saying, that's sin. That's idolatry, and we want to avoid that. We don't need more of that. We need more obedience. To the word of God. And in our day and age, everybody kind of has, like, you know, it's easy to find the don't tell me what to do kind of mentality. No, everyone's trying to avoid accountability rather than create accountability. The only time when, when we're into accountability is when, you know, you feel like you may be on the end of being wronged by people who aren't accountable. But you don't want to be the one accountable. You want to create accountability for everybody else but not for yourself. And so we're going to have accountability worked out by the practical nature of the book. It says, go do this, we got to go do it. So it's not less theological, but it's definitely less theoretical. James is a joy to read because it's a, it's concise. Uh, since I kind of decided and even was thinking about it, I began kind of... Praying into like where are we going next, Lord, and asking the Lord to kind of show me what where we are going, and I just was like, all right, I'm just going to read James, and it's so short that you can read it every day, and that's something that I want to encourage you guys to do. You can read the entire book of James in like 15 minutes. It's awesome. You can get into it and just read it, boom, and be done. And so every night, as I was kind of praying into it, I just was like, I'm just going to read through the entire book from start to finish. It's only like five short, pa- short chapters. If you have like decently small words in your Bible, it's like two pages, three pages. <laughs> it's really quick. Read through the book of James. There's a challenge. Read through the book of James every single day. You can do it. Fifteen minutes. I just keep my Bible right by my bed before I go to sleep. Pop it open. You know, set my alarm. Boom. Pop through it real quick. It's awesome. You get in the Word of God into you, and then when it's time to respond to it out in the world, you have it, it's ready, read through it, make it your goal to read through James every single day. You can do it. It's super, super simple. It will benefit you greatly as we, as we make our way through uh, the book of James. Okay. Other things about James. The, the thing that I love about James quite a bit is it James's use of metaphors and illustrations. We'll see that and James uses these things as as a learning tool, right? That's why we use these metaphors and illustrations to to cause us to remember. And James is awesome at this. And he he uses them. He in chapter 1, he 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 talks about one who doubts being compared to a wave of the sea. Just you know, gives us these great word pictures. So when we think about how we're waffling in our thinking, we recall Not wanting to be driven about like a wave of the sea. He compares the brevity of life to the sun beating upon the grass and withering it and scorching it. Uh, In chapter 3, he compares the tongue to the rudder of a ship. He calls it a small flame that can create a great fire. He he uses these great uh, and vivid word pictures in order to allow us to to grasp the concept, to understand what what God is wanting to communicate to us, to bring it home, to help it to really help us to really understand it, and, and there's many more, but those are just a couple of the uh, samples that we'll get to this morning. James's style he depends upon the teachings of Jesus more than any other New Testament writer. James depends more than any other New Testament writer upon the teachings of Jesus. You won't see it worked out in the form of quotations. You don't see in James a bunch of red letters. If you got like a red letter Bible, you don't see it worked out. James isn't just quoting Jesus left and right, but he roots the things, his instruction, he roots it in the teaching of Jesus more than any other New Testament writer. He weaves it in like just a master into his framework. And then he moves quickly from topic to topic, touching on many things in the ministry of Jesus. Here's some of the things that, he, that we're going to get to and some of the things that he's going to talk about. Major topics for the book. We'll look at trials, the testing of your faith, suffering <laughs> it's going to get hardcore this is what james is going to get to and this is something that you know as a whole in american christianity we're not really like real well versed in this we don't do trials testing of faith suffering like we we have to go through it sometimes but as a as a whole as a church at large this is something that can be a bit foreign from us But it shouldn't be, because in John 15, Jesus tells us very plainly, if the world hates you, no, it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I also said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So that's the standard is what Jesus is telling us. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. You're not going to get off the hook if I didn't get off the hook. A servant is not greater than his master. And so the idea of suffering, trials, testing of faith should not be foreign to the followers of Christ. We are a people that are going to go through that. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's promised to us that we're going to encounter these things. And James is going to give us just a great encouragement in how we can suffer well for God's glory. The second thing we're going to look at, or not, maybe not the second thing. We're not looking, not talking in order necessarily, but one of the things uh, is hearing and doing the word. We talked about this exhortation to work out our faith, to apply it in a practical sense, not just to to hear it but to do it. We'll talk about the sinfulness of partiality or or, or kind of having favoritism. It will show us that. You know, our view of God is going to dictate how we view other people. It will reveal in our hearts, you know, quite a bit about how we how we respond to other people um, as a result of how we view God and how we think God views us. Uh, we'll look at faith works and justification. How are we saved? Is it only by by believing? It, is it, do we have to do something to, to kind of join in the work of Christ uh, to accomplish our salvation? Uh, you know, Paul tells us in Galatians that we are saved uh, you know, by Christ's finished work and not of our own works. He also speaks that to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2. But James here is going to tell us that we need to work out our faith. We need to, we need to uh, uh, you know, we have to show our works. James is not going to speak the opposite, but he is complimenting. He's saying, if you say that you love God, show that you love God. We'll also comment on life as a whole. James is going to comment on speech, wisdom, a type of worldly wisdom and a biblical type of wisdom. He'll comment on discord or dissension in the community. He'll speak about wealth and poverty And then lastly, he'll speak about prayer. Uh, He'll speak about the prayer of faith. And so he's covering a wide range of topics. And like I said, it's kind of often noted that James is the the Proverbs of the New Testament and Proverbs covers many of these topics. It it covers many of these things. Speech, wisdom, uh, wealth. And so... James is well-rounded in that sense. He, he is covering a large uh topic. And what he's really getting at is or, or really is the theme of the book. And, and it's kind of hard to put your finger on a theme because it, it's you know it's not like the gospel of Mark that we looked at, where Mark is setting out to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's both the suffering servant. And he is the Messiah. He is this this promised uh, figure that he is indeed the Son of God. It's not so cut and dry in the book of James. But James, as we see in, in covering this wide gamut, in covering this great selection of topics, what James is seeking is to exhort the church, the people who are, you know, dispersed, us here who are dispersed from you know our home churches where we grew up, where we spent time, he's calling us together to be a people who are wholehearted in our pursuit of Christ. That we're well-rounded. And so that's why we're calling this, this series Wholehearted. James is speaking to give us a spiritual wholeness. He doesn't want us to be lacking in any area. And so In the book of James, we are going to look at these things, but we also want to find Jesus in them. Remember, we don't want to fall into the trap of going and doing, 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 but we want to be responding to who Jesus is. And we talked about that last week with the great commandment. In Mark 12, 29, Jesus answers about what's the greatest commandment, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's James's greatest desire here. His greatest desire is that we would be spiritually complete. He desires that we would be wholehearted in our faith. Both, and, and think about this for a second, there's a division here, both wholehearted in our, uh, in our passionate love for Jesus, as one that we're, we're wholly devoted to him, but then we're also wholehearted in that we're equipped with practical wisdom and knowing how to apply it. We're, we're complete there. And this is the exact same thing that Jesus wants. He wants us to obey that great commandment. He's calling us to the entirety. In that great commandment, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's the entirety of a person. We want to love God in that way and respond to what James and what Jesus is calling us to. We want to take that transition from simply being a hearer, from simply listening, to going and doing. We want to work it out. And and James echoes Jesus, because he says that, you know, in in, uh, James 1, I think it's 127, he says, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. It's one thing to be a hearer, but another thing to work it out. And he's echoing Jesus when he says that in Mark three, when Jesus is in that house and his his brothers are, and mom come to him and they're like, "Come on, Jesus, get out of here!" Like they're calling to him, and Jesus is like, and and the uh, the people who are in the house listening to him are like, "Jesus, your your family's out here. They want you to go. They're calling to you." And Jesus is like, "Who are my brothers and who are my mother?" He's asking kind of this 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 rhetorical question where he's saying. He's trying to redefine what family is. And he says there in Mark 3, 34, looking about to those who sat around him, those who were listening to him, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, or my brother and sister and mother. He's saying, my family is, are those who are around me who hear my voice and do the will of God. You got to go and do what God has told you to do. Uh, similarly, in Mark 7, the religious leaders approach Jesus and they're all angry because of the disciples. They don't wash you know, their hands when they're supposed to for the, you know, the ceremonial washings. And Jesus brings the people aside and he says, There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus is saying, You got to listen and you got to go and do. You got to put you got to put feet to your faith. There has to be some action happening. Jesus is saying it's not just about going and doing, you also have to have the heart change. It's not what comes out of a person. You can't just go and do by itself. It's also within a person. You have to first love God. It's one thing to to wanna kind of do things for God, but if you don't belong to him, In the first place, you're not doing things for God; you're doing things for yourself. So you can only go and be obedient to this if you belong to Jesus. When Jesus is saying here, he wants he 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 wants us to respond to love him with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind. He's calling us to this entirety. And this is what Jesus says is the problem with those religious leaders that are accusing the disciples of, of, you know, not doing the ceremonial washings. And Jesus is like, that's not even the problem. The problem is, like, you know, the, they're right in the heart. And, and he quotes there in that passage in Mark 7. He quotes to the, to the religious leaders, uh, Mark 7, verse 6. He quotes an Isaiah passage. He says, uh, Isaiah did prophesy of you, religious leaders, you hypocrites. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, that's what James is writing to here. He wants us not to just simply be a people that are honoring God with our lips, but we have to be obedient. We uh, we don't want to have our heart that is far from God. We want to have a heart that is captured by God. Our attention is upon him. He has all of our affection. That's what James is calling us to, and that's what Jesus is calling us to, when he says, you have to love me with your whole heart. He's talking about the center of our personality, our will. He's not talking in just like this very, you know, medical sort of sense, although, like, I did put a medical diagram in our, in our thing, that's, maybe that's a reminder, that's not what we're talking about, He's are not talking about in such a mechanical way, but the entirety of your life, you know, we don't think about, uh, we don't, we don't think about, you know, when we, when we tell people we love them, you know, like, oh, I tell my wife, I love you with my whole heart, I'm not talking about, like, you know, in this medical sense, you know, or, or when you're a uh, I don't know about me, about you, but like whenever like I happen to be in a, in like a store, I'm like waiting for like the kids come out of the dressing room, and I'm sitting there in the chair. And there's always like the worst songs on in, in like stores, and you're waiting around, and there's just always like that moment where like the sweet R and B song drops, and like for whatever reason, singers feel like they need to have like this intro into their song where it's like. And then like kind of the beat goes, and the guy's like, "Yo, girl, you know I love you with all my heart." He's not talking about like this medical, like you know, heart. He's talking about with all my entire being. He's he's talking about I want to I want to give. He spends the whole time whole time talking about how he wants to like spend his whole life with this girl, you know, and like he'll do anything for her. He's not talking about like you know oh, my aorta is so massive and like all this crazy stuff. My, my ventricles beat like an opposite, you know, opposite rhythm when you come around. He's not talking about that. He's, he's talking about like, you know, I love you with my whole heart. And I want to, you know, I want to make you mine forever. You know, those types of love songs are, are what he's getting at. And so when Jesus says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, he's talking about an entirety He's, talking, he's saying, don't be mechanical in your love. And that's what James is getting at. Don't, we we want to be wholehearted, not in this mechanical way, but we want Jesus to be our all in all. We want to be passionate about him who has saved us from our sins. And so that is what he's, he's calling us to this morning. So, lastly, James 1 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So he finishes this way, or we'll, we'll kind of finish this way. James has this definite passion, this definite desire to see. The, the hearers, the readers of this book, us, be wholehearted about Jesus. And he demonstrates in the very first sentence his wholehearted nature for Jesus. How does James introduce himself here? He says, James, a servant of God. That's how he starts off. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the brother of Jesus, I would be name dropping that like nobody's business. I would be like, yo, it's James, the brother of Jesus. You know God? I'm God's brother, what? I would be dropping that left and right. Like, if there's a name drop to drop, that's the one you want to drop. But James doesn't do that. Even even if he didn't claim that, he could just still be like, it's James... It's the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. Oh, oh, you're the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem? Who planted your church? Or like, what church sent you? Oh, Jesus sent us. So, James, we know that Jesus sends all church planters, and he sends everybody out. No, really, like, there wasn't a church before, like, our church. We were the first ones. Like, that was it. There was no church. Jesus actually sent us. You know, like, there's like, First church of, like, we are literally the first church. You can make all your. James is like the pastor of the very first church. Like, that would be a pretty sweet thing to name drop, also. But James doesn't do that either. He says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me make a comment here, what he says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He adds the title Lord there. And let me tell you why he does this. It's an early Christian understanding of Jesus. Because in, in, as we looked at in the Gospel of Mark, in our day and age, Messiah, that means, you know, we like almost instantly re- equate that in the Christian, uh, you know, family the christian church messiah equals god in our minds in the jewish mind that was not so and so so uh, james here says that jesus or that james is a servant of god and the lord jesus christ what he's doing here is he's making sure that we know that Jesus is God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He couldn't just say servant of God in Jesus Christ. That would be Jesus the Messiah, who in the Jewish mind is not necessarily God. But he makes sure that we understand that Jesus is a part of the Trinity. He is the second person of the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. Three persons. James is giving us a Trinitarian statement here in the very beginning. And this was something that the early church was careful to point out. At Pentecost in Acts 2, the very first sermon that Peter gave after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, "...let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." He is very careful, and the church is careful to point out that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He's making sure that we understand that Jesus is indeed God. Now, I love that James is making this point. Because James isn't name dropping that he's the brother of Jesus, he's not name dropping that he's the first pastor of Jerusalem. He's name-dropping that he's a servant of God and Jesus, our Lord, the Christ. He is not seeking to find his identity in any of those other things, but in his service of Christ. Now, we'll get into a little bit more of what that word servant means there when he talks about that next week. But this is what we need to be known as. And and I just want to make this one point. He's making a clear distinction that his identity is not wrapped up in his relationship as a brother of Jesus, his relationship as the pastor of the church, but in who he is in his relationship to God and Jesus as the Son of God. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, speaking to them, he says, For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's saying, don't come up here and trying to be bragging about who you are. I don't want to know anything about you. I want to know that only Jesus and Him crucified. That's it. That's your identity. And like I was saying, in our day and age, it's hard to deal with that because we're all about our identity. That's why, you know, you go to like someone's Facebook page and click their profiles and boom, (laughs) that's like their identity. That's who they want to be known as. You look at the way that people put themselves out there into the world with like all the social media, their interactions, that is the identity that they've created for themselves. And some of those identities Are fine because they are in turn give glory to God, but some of those reveal a lot more about where a person has invested their time. And so that's what James is trying to get out this morning. What qualifies James to write with such authority? He doesn't say, I'm James, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't he, what qualifies James is not his physical relation to, to growing up in the same house with Jesus, but it's his spiritual relationship to, to his half-brother also being his Lord and his God. He puts himself on equal ground with everybody else, and of course, God has called him to the office of pastor over the Church of Jerusalem, but he is wrapped up in notifying us as the readers that we need to find our identity in Christ. And our, need to be wholehearted in our pursuit of Him. In that, in reading His letter, He's seeking to point us to be more, more wholehearted in our pursuit of Christ. So I'm excited to look at the Book of James with you guys. Next week we'll get into Chapter One, and we'll look at one through eleven. I believe that's what we're looking at, and um, we'll kind of talk about what it means. This very first thing to be a servant, um, and so I'm excited. So this morning, as we look at an overview, as we look at an overview of the book of James, James is really calling us to, to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. We don't just want to be hearers; we want to be doers. That's what he's getting at. We can't just kind of kind of stand off to the side and say, like, "Oh yeah, I want to be a part of that." Now we can't be spectators anymore. He's putting us in the game and saying, "All right, it's time. Each one of you has a role." to play a a role to be obedient to what I've laid out for you in the text this morning. And so I'm excited to look at the book of James with you guys. Um, Let's pray. Make sure you guys read through week one study and uh, come ready to, to discuss it and read through the book of James tonight before you go to sleep. You'll love it. That's awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and that you've given it to us. Lord, so that we might be wholehearted. Lord, we want your word to change us. We want to confront, Lord, the imperative commands that you've given us. Be obedient to you. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us these things straightforward so that we don't have to wonder about if we're, if we're doing right, but that we might joyfully and cheerfully obey you and that you might have glory. And so we're excited for what you're doing. Lord, we're thankful that you've brought us here this morning. I pray that you would work in each one of us, Lord, as we, um, as we work through uh, the study guide and, and prepare our hearts for discussion. Lord, we need your help. We love you. Amen.